Hello, I'm Mercedes Stevenson, and this is the West Block, politics, perspectives, and players. The International Court of Justice has ruled Myanmar must protect Rohingya Muslims within its borders from violence and preserve evidence of possible genocide. The UN's top court ruling comes as hundreds of thousands of Rohingya wait for help, living in refugee camps in neighboring Bangladesh. Myanmar's leader Aung San Suu Kyi has defended the country against charges of genocide. Fareed Khan is with the Rohingya Human Rights Network. Fareed, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. What does this court ruling say? Is it a victory? It's the start of a victory and it's the first sliver of justice that the Rohingya have seen. Um, the fact that the decision was a unanimous ruling is huge. Uh, and the fact that the, in their ruling the judges cited four of the five provisions under the Genocide Convention that constitute genocide is really major. Um, it says basically to start with that um, genocide uh, is a term that can be used uh, with respect to what Myanmar did and it's a total repudiation of uh, Aung San Suu Kyi and the Myanmar government who tried to say that no, this, this was not genocide. Does this change anything for Rohingya who are actually on the ground? Does it trigger a domino effect that will make a difference or is it a symbolic gesture, an important one, but one where you don't expect there to be an immediate or a, a real consequence? Well, that's a, that's a difficult question to answer. The fact is the, the ICJ ruling is supposed to be binding. However, if a state decides, no, we're not going to abide by the ruling, then that leaves it up to the international community to then say, well, what are we going to do? Because if you have nations who are state parties to the convention saying that we're not going to abide by the court's decisions, then you basically have a breakdown of the international rule of law. Um, with respect to Rohingya on the ground, obviously in the camps it's uh, being received well in Bangladesh. For the people in Myanmar who are living, you know, about 140,000 of them in concentration camps, and the other 300,000 who are living in very precarious uh, conditions, uh, it remains to be seen because we haven't seen what the response from the Myanmar government is yet. I'm sure that they're looking at the um, ICJ decision very carefully and they're going to issue some sort of response probably, you know, uh, tomorrow or by early next week. What does this ruling specifically require the government to do to try to protect the Rohingya? Okay, well, if you don't mind, I'm just going to read from some uh, notes here. Um, one of the statements made was that uh, Myanmar had caused irreparable damage to the rights of the Rohingya. So that basically says that uh, what the government has done has uh, you know, destroyed their human rights. Um, it also found that uh, there was a condition of urgency that had to be met in, in this case. Um, there were six provisional measures that required Myanmar to act with immediate and to quote, with immediate effect to prevent further genocide of the Rohingya group and to take steps not to destroy or render inaccessible any evidence already described in the application. Um, and it also calls on Myanmar to take all measures within its power to prevent the commission of all acts within the scope of Articles 2 of the Genocide Convention and particularly it refers uh, to Clause 1 which uh, um, 
uh, is killing members of the group. Clause 2, causing serious bodily or mental harm to the group. Clause 3, deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its destruction in whole or in part. And Clause 4, imposing measures intended to prevent births within the group. So this was a major, major decision. And um, now it remains to be seen whether uh, Myanmar is actually going to listen and abide by this decision. And uh, now we have to wait for the next step because this is just provisional measures. And one of the things that should be noted that uh, one of the other statements in the decision was that this does not prejudice the actual case that will be um, still to come with, res with regard to genocide being committed that has yet to begin. So that's, that's a separate case, and we have to see how the government of Myanmar responds to this particular yes. ruling. Do you have any faith that they're going to change the way that they've been behaving? I, I would like to say that I have hope. I mean, I think Rohingya, you know, who are in, in the diaspora and who are living in camps, I mean, all they have is hope. Um, but whether the government, given its history, um, you know, 40 years of a genocide policy targeting the Rohingya, whether it's actually going to abide by this decision, this decision we will have to uh, wait and see. And if it doesn't, then that leaves it up to countries like Canada and others who, you know, say that they're defenders of the international rule of law and, uh, you know, our rules of law nation then to say, well, are we going to do anything? Uh, well, and I, I found it really interesting that Gambia mm -hmm. was the country that brought the charges in this case. It wasn't Canada. It wasn't the United States. Yeah. Um, where is the Canadian government on this file in terms of not just what they're saying, but what they're doing? Because I know we, we talked about a year ago yeah. about some of the expectations that you had for the government, things you thought they should be doing. Where are they at in terms of actually taking action here other than the statements and the words? Well, the only action that, they, that Canada has taken in any meaningful way has been on the humanitarian aid front, which is actually huge. $300 million over three years is a substantial amount of money. But on the legal front, with respect to actually filing the genocide case, we had called on uh, the Canadian government to file the genocide case on behalf of the Rohingya, especially after Parliament recognized uh, unanimously in two motions that genocide was being committed. And we've pretty much been given the cold shoulder. We did a uh, annual end-of-year report uh, in December, which uh, we basically gave um, the government an overall C-minus rating and in two categories with respect to action on the legal front. Um, we gave them an F because, uh, frankly, they failed, and they failed in a very huge way. Um, you can't be a nation, and, and the Prime Minister and former Foreign Affairs Minister used to say this often, we're a rule of law nation, we, you know, we support the international legal order. You can't make those statements and then not back them up with actual action. Well, and what's happened to the Rohingya has been absolutely terrible. There are other minority groups around the world as well that are yes. being targeted, for example, the Uyghurs in China. Uh, you're critical of the government's record when it comes to the Rohingya, and you're mentioning rule of law, which immediately makes me think of every time we hear the government talk about Huawei, China, mm -hmm. uh, and the case of the two Michaels who are detained, Canadian exactly. citizens detained in China. How do you feel this government is performing when it comes to protections of vulnerable minority groups? Um, frankly, I think it's a failing grade because you mentioned the Uyghurs. There are other minorities uh, that are being persecuted in other parts of the world. You've got uh, what's happening in Kashmir, where there's been a lockdown now for, since the summer, um, where atrocities have been committed. You've got what India is doing to other minorities within, their, uh, within India proper. Um, you know, there's other minorities being affected, and, and Canada, if it wants to be seen as this nation that you know, upholds the rule of law, 
actually has to take action. It has to put action behind those words. And um, we saw a decade in the 2010s of atrocities committed um, in different parts of the world. But uh, the nations that are supposed to be the rule of law nations, the, the you know Canadian allies, uh, you know the Western democracies, have seem to have uh, you know washed their hands of their responsibility. They were the ones that established the international legal order after World War II. They were the ones that pushed for the Genocide Convention and the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. They are state parties to these two foundational documents of the UN. And yet, in the last decade or so, we have seen no real meaningful actions by whether it's Canada or the other nations with regard to the Rohingya, the Uyghurs, uh, you know, you name it. Uh, there's been so many. Uh, we just have a few moments left, but I'd like to know, I guess, why you think that is, that countries that had a long history of defending human rights and setting out these international legal norms are now going quiet on the same files instead of being vocal and taking action? Um, money, trade, jobs, um, ultimately greed. Uh, I'm sorry, but that's the only way I can put it. Because if you are putting, you know, uh, international trade and the dollars that are coming in ahead of basic humanity and human dignity and human lives, then you don't have a moral compass. Uh, and you know, I would say that for whether it's Canada or the UK, US, any Western nation that does trade with nations that are committing atrocities against people within their borders. Next week is Holocaust Remembrance Day. And, you know, we'll have people, politicians, standing up and talking about that and how horrible it was and how we can't let it happen again. And it is absolute hypocrisy to be making those statements. And uh, then when you're called on to act, when the same sorts of things are happening right now, today, you're basically saying, well, yeah, you know what, we're more interested in how many jobs uh, we can get by trading with such and such a nation. So it's, I mean, it's a very dismal um, outlook, and I'm sure that, you know, it's a response that uh, um, I wish I could respond better, but that's the way things look right now. Fareed Khan, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me again. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us. I'm Mercedes Stevenson. Mm -hmm.